The reading this evening is taken from Matthew chapter 5, and I'm reading from verse 27. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Thank you so much. Challenging passage, and not one that is often read or the topic of a sermon. But our theme for tonight is listening to Jesus about adultery and divorce. And we come to this because we're working our way through Matthew chapter 5. In the mornings, we're taking the Beatitudes, and in the, some of the evenings, we're taking some of the passages that follow on from the Beatitudes. So listening to Jesus about adultery and divorce tonight. And as I reflect on all of these passages that follow from the Beatitudes that we're considering on Sunday mornings, it does seem to me very clear that it is the Beatitudes which sets the tone for what follows. Taken alone, any of these passages can make for challenging reading, could be open to misunderstanding, but taken in context, they make a lot of sense. Where is our true blessing? Let's start with the Beatitudes. Where is that wholeness and purpose in life expressed in the word blessed? It comes from recognizing our spiritual poverty. Definitely something banging. Is that the outside door that's banging? I don't think it matters. I don't think it'll come to any grief. We'll just uh, not worry about it. This true blessing that comes is expressed in the Beatitudes. It's from recognizing our spiritual poverty, our emptiness, our humility, our hunger, our need to be renewed and restored through the Holy Spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, which is what we were thinking about this morning. And once we're in that place of blessing, once we are in that place where we've encountered Jesus, once we know that God is speaking into our lives in the way that the Beatitudes presents, then it makes a lot more sense then to work out the relevance of the Old Testament law, the commandments, and some of these more specific challenges that come later on in Matthew 5. So I'm very convinced that this teaching belongs as a whole. And that though we take it in pieces in order to understand each section, these words about 
anger and murder that Richard spoke about uh, about three weeks ago now, I think. Uh, these words tonight about adultery and divorce, the words that Evan will talk about next week about oaths, your yes, simply yes, and your no, yo, no. The words about revenge, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and love for enemies. These very practical words that follow on later in Matthew 5 are built on the spiritual principles of the Beatitudes. So remember that because I think it sets an important framework for what we're coming to. And what I'd like to do this evening with this particular passage is just to start with listening to Jesus. We need to hear what Jesus is saying about lust, adultery, and divorce. And then we need to reflect practically and pastorally on the implications of these words. So let's start by listening to Jesus. What is he saying? Well, he starts by taking us back to the Ten Commandments. The law says, do not commit adultery. There are particular boundaries in sexual relationships which must not be broken. In the Old Testament, adultery refers to a married or engaged man or woman having sexual intercourse with someone other than his wife or, his husband, or her husband. The understanding of adultery is quite clear, and its meaning has been quite consistent through the Bible and in subsequent periods of history. There is something quite specific that is being spoken about here. But in this passage, Jesus links the act of adultery with the attitude of lust. The message is especially to men, but I think it can be understood both ways. I think that the intention of the passage is not to narrow the context just to those who are married and just to those who are male, but rather to say that the message applies to any kind of inappropriate sexual behavior and that anything which is immoral in its deed is also immoral in its thought. And the thought, of course, always comes before the deed. There is a fascinating passage in the Old Testament in the book of Job, chapter 31, verses 1 to 8. It's worth reading. I'm just going to read it to you. It's not on the screen. But this is what it says. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. For what is our lot from God above, our heritage from the Almighty on high? Is it not ruin for the wicked, disaster for those who do wrong? Does he not see my ways and count my every step? If I have walked with falsehood, or my foot has hurried after deceit, let God weigh me in honest scales, and he will know that I am blameless. If my steps have turned from the path, if my heart has been led by my eyes, or if my hands have been defiled, then may others eat what I have sown, and may my crops be uprooted. I especially like the phrase, if my heart has been led by my eyes. And in both the words of Jesus and in the passage in Job, it's very clear that there is a close link between the eyes 
and the heart, between what you see and who you are. And so Jesus is quite clear. Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then Jesus goes on to say, so if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. This is a bit drastic, isn't it? It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell and likewise your right hand. These words are actually repeated further on in the gospel in Matthew chapter 18. Not in the same context, but there in a different setting, Jesus again says the same kind of words. If your hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. These words are not referring literally to the removal of parts of our body. These words are referring to a genuine self-denial in order to follow Jesus. In other words, if there is an area of temptation for you, then don't look, don't touch, don't go there. You may not literally remove an eye or chop off a hand, but you can close your eyes, you can remove your hands. It's not that difficult. Preserve the purity of your mind in order to maintain true morality in your life. That's really what Jesus is saying here. If a part of the body is problematic to you, do what you need to do or don't do what you know you shouldn't do in order to maintain true morality. And then Jesus moves on to the subject of divorce. Now, adultery may not link to necessarily lead to divorce, but it might. And in the teaching of, of Jesus, the action of divorce may also lead to adultery. So the two are kind of connected, and these two passages, I think, belong together because it's a little bit of the same theme that's woven together. We can certainly say that divorce and adultery are linked in the teaching of Jesus. If the teaching on adultery is quite clear, that there are boundaries, and that in order to preserve that purity of life, you need to be rigorous in the attitudes of your mind and your heart. If that is Jesus' teaching on adultery, his teaching on divorce is somewhat more complicated. Because these words that we have in Matthew 5 are really just a, a summary of a wider section of teaching, which is in Matthew chapter 19. There's a lengthy section in verses 3 to 9 of Matthew 19, which says a lot more about marriage and divorce. And we've really just got the sort of headline, bullet point, here in chapter 5. And the essence of it is that Jesus takes divorce much more seriously than those around him. The culture of the time was that a man would be at liberty to divorce his wife, but he needs to give her a certificate. But Jesus says it's much more serious than that. Ultimately, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus takes us back 
to what God has ordained for the marriage relationship that God has made, male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his mother and be uh, mother and father and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. The message of Genesis chapter 2 that is repeated periodically through the pages of Scripture. And therefore, he goes on to talk about divorce as through the hardness of heart of mankind, not God's intention by any means. And then he goes on to describe those impacts of divorce and how it relates to adultery. And his teaching suggests that in many cases, if there is a breakdown in marriage and then to enter into a sexual relationship with another, it amounts to adultery. Unless perhaps adultery has already taken place as the cause of breakdown and if there is in some sense an innocent party. But the purpose of these words is not so much to get into a complex discussion about the grounds for divorce and what is right and what is wrong and what can be allowed and what can't be allowed. But it's much more to realize the significance of the marriage covenant and the seriousness of any deviation from it, whether in adultery or in divorce. These are the words that Jesus is bringing to us. But of course, they have to be carefully understood and properly interpreted and interpreted in the light of the whole of Scripture. And in the Christian community, there will be different points of view. In my earlier years of ministry, the remarriage of those who have been divorced was quite a major point of discussion. Whereas now, that is more generally accepted, and it is the marriage of those of the same gender that presents the major debate. But the starting point in all of these conversations is to hear what Jesus says, to understand the context in which those words were spoken, then to determine how they should be applied in the particular society in which we live today. So hear the words of Jesus on adultery and on divorce, but then reflect on them in the light of the whole gospel. And maybe I can just take you a little way on that journey now. Because these teachings affect us deeply. And many of us will have experienced those who have found themselves in these places. I think of the story of Sue Ashdown, the author of the book, Till Death Us Do Part? She experienced a very bitter and painful divorce and went through a huge struggle afterwards. She went to an Anglo-Catholic conference just after her husband left her for the second time when many issues remained unresolved. And after one of the talks, she went to the speaker who she knew and respected and simply said to him, I'm in hell. He responded, I rather thought you were. It was a comment which gave her permission to be in that place and to work through some of the deeper pain of her experience. So I'd like us to listen to one of her poems from that time. It's simply called, Why? Francis is going to read that. Why, God? Why? My soul cries out to you. A silent scream 
which echoes round and round. Why, God? Why? The magnitude of what is happening overwhelms me, swamps me. And where are you, God? Where are you? Where are your arms of love? No eloquent phrases come to mind. No trite speech of acceptance. I toss and turn in circles of bewilderment, pushed, pulled, sat upon. There is no comforting place of rest. No answers to ease the hurt. And it is so hard to live with the questions. I'm tired, God. Tired in every possible way. Reach down, my Father, and hold me, for I have no strength left to reach up to you. There is nothing I can do, nothing, except live the pain, feel it, experience the hurt, and being too weak to lift it to you. I ask you, Father, could you please reach down and hold me ever close to your heart. Let's not underestimate the emotional depths. Depths of feeling when faced with an experience either of adultery or of divorce. Because this takes us to some of the deepest places in our lives where there are no easy answers. But maybe there are some pastoral reflections that can guide us through. And I would want to suggest that in the wider teaching of Jesus and in the whole of Scripture, it is clear that marriage is grounded not just in the feelings of love, but in the practice of love. The question in the wedding service is, will you love, comfort, honor, and protect? And the answer is, I will. It requires an action of the will. And the intention is this, to be forever in total faithfulness and trust. And the ideal is that alongside that deep commitment, there is a real and profound affection, a strong relationship of sacrificial love, evident in both parties. Scripture says a lot more about marriage than it does about divorce. So we start with where marriage is grounded. But then we go on to say that divorce is never the ideal, but in some circumstances, it may be the better way. And I think Jesus is giving us a hint of that. It was there in the Old Testament as Moses granted a permission for the hardness of heart. Jesus is suggesting that if a relationship is already broken through adultery, then the consequences of a divorce may not necessarily lead to another act of adultery. The Apostle Paul suggests that if an unbelieving partner desires to separate, that they should not be bound. 
Scripture doesn't say anything about if a relationship is abusive. That's not addressed in Scripture, but it's very pertinent to life today. And we're very much aware of domestic violence and some of the traumatic circumstances in which some people are forced to remain. And there are other situations which are sometimes described as irretrievable breakdown. These are not steps to be taken lightly. But there may be those cases, as was illustrated already in Scripture, where that might be the necessary rain. And alongside that, we need to recognize that the church is a community which needs to embrace those in all circumstances of life. Victims of damaged relationships, those whose lives are broken because something has gone wrong in this particular aspect of life. Those who are deeply lonely because they've never had anyone to love in this way. And those whose partners have been taken from them through untimely death. In a typical congregation, only half of those attending are married. And I guess that would be true of our own congregation if we looked at it. We have a very mixed community. There are those who are married. There are those who have been married and whose partners have died. There are those who have been through a separation and a divorce. There are those who have never been married. We have all of those circumstances represented among us. And in that mixed community, we need to nurture people in all phases of life and help everyone to feel loved and affirmed as God would love them and affirm them. And therefore, I would also want to say that the prohibitions of Scripture need to be read in the light of the overall gospel message of forgiveness and grace. This is an area of life where it's so important, not just to read a verse here and a verse there, but to read the breadth of Scripture and to understand God's dealings with the whole of mankind. I think that's why it's particularly appropriate that actually this evening service takes us towards communion. Remember what Jesus said to the woman who was found in adultery in John's Gospel. When she asked, does anyone condemn you? Neither do I. Go and sin no more. In one of the earlier songs that we sung tonight, there's that phrase, who could imagine so great a mercy? And the heart of God is a place where broken lives can be healed, where damaged relationships can be restored, where what has gone deeply wrong can be put right. And so we need to hear what Jesus says very clearly about adultery and divorce and many other topics. We need to understand the importance, the deep importance of that covenant of marriage and not lighten that in any way. But we also need to be a profound community of grace where those who are hurting truly find wholeness in the presence 
and the love of Jesus.